Book nine, chapter eight of Round the Block by John Belbooten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Beneficence of Firebells. The door opened, and the tall form of the police lieutenant appeared, attended by two patrolmen. The patrolman, on entering, looked directly at the prisoner, and seemed to recognize him. The police lieutenant appeared to be pleased with his success in finding the witnesses after a hunt through several station-houses, but he was not aware what importance the testimony which they could give had suddenly acquired. The witnesses had been searched for at the suggestion of Fayette Overtop, with the vague hope of making them useful in some way. The coroner scowled at the witnesses, for he feared that they would prove the man innocent, who in his opinion was the murderer. Having adopted this theory at the outset, and staked the whole issue upon it, he felt a natural reluctance to give it up. The lieutenant explained to the coroner that the two officers could probably throw some light on the prisoner's movements the night of the murder. The coroner administered the oath to both of them as follows. Hole up your right hand. You swear to tell truth, the whole truth, nothing but truth, self you got kiss the book. The men complied with these impressive formalities, and the coroner then proceeded to interrogate one of them, a strapping fellow with an intensely Irish face. Name, said the coroner. Patrick O'Dockerty, Your Honor. The phrase, Your Honor, produced its customary gracious effect. Do you spell O'Dockerty with a K? asked the coroner. Hang me if I knows said O'Dockerty. I never spilt it. Spill it to suit yourself, your honor. Spell it in the usual way, with a K, said the coroner, turning to the reporters. Your residence, Mr. O'Dockerty? Me what? Your residence. Where do you live? Oh, it's fair I live, you're want to know. In Mulberry Street, near Baxter. You belong to the police, I believe, asked the coroner. It's quare ye should ax me that, replied the O'Dockerty, with an enormous smile. Because you have the perliceman's hat, club, and badge? You forget, said the coroner patronizingly, that courts of justice doesn't know nothing until it's proved to them. As a coroner, I shouldn't know my own grandmother until she swore to herself. Tisn't that, your honor but because you're got me on to the perlice yourself. Don't you remember? On lection day, I smashed two ticket booths of t'other candidate in the sixth ward, licked as much as a dozen men who was workin' again ye, and din was put into the tombs overnight. Bad luck to the tombs, I say. Well, your honor, ye was elected coroner by a small vote, and in turn for me services ye got me pinted. Ah, oh, I remember now, said the coroner, somewhat confused. I did not know you in the policeman's dress. Well, Mr. O'Dockerty, did you see the prisoner on the night of the murder? I did, your honor. It was about twelve o'clock. I was sitting on a barrel in front of Pat McKibben's store, corner of Washington and Blank Streets. I was watching the barrel, your honor, because Pat McKibben had some of em stole lately you see. Could you swear to him, Mr. O'Dockerty? Could I swear to me own mother? 
Hibben rest her sowl. Bedad, I should know him in a thousand years from now. Didn't he stop and light his cigar at me poip? And didn't his nose touch me own? Did he look pale and excited? asked the coroner. No, your honor. His face was red as a brick, and though it was a cowed night, he looked to be warm wid fast walkin'. Did he say anything? No, he only axed for a light. Was his appearance suspicious? No, your honor, more'n your own. No offence to yez. That'll do, Mr. O'Dockerty. Next witness. If you please, your honor, said the smooth overtop, rising, you have accidentally omitted to ask one very important question. The prisoner stated on his preliminary examination, you remember, that when he stopped to light a cigar from the pipe of a policeman, he heard the sound of a fire-bell commencing to strike. Miss Minford testifies that when she was roused from sleep by the noise of her father falling to the floor, she heard the alarm of the seventh district. McKibben's store, at the corner of Washington and Blank Streets, is more than half a mile from here. In view of these facts, I will, with your honor's permission, ask Mr. O'Dockerty if he heard the fire alarm that night, and if so, whether the prisoner was in sight at the time. Sure, and I heard it, answered the O'Dockerty. It was for the seventh district, and wasn't this gentleman here at the end of me poip just when it begun to bang away? Overtop cast one triumphant glance at the jury, which was fully reciprocated by the foreman and four others. I have no more questions to ask, Your Honor, said Overtop. Nor I, said the coroner, as the witness's testimony has no great baron on the case that I can see. What is your name, Mr. Er? Thomas Jellyman, responded the second policeman, a stout, bluff, honest-looking fellow. He did not say, Your Honor, and thereby offended the coroner. Well, what's your business, anyhow? asked the coroner curtly. I should think you would remember that I was a policeman, said the witness, looking the coroner straight in the eye. The coroner, taking a second observation of the witness, recalled him as the identical officer who had arrested him one Christmas night for drunkenness and locked him up in the station-house. This little occurrence was before his election to the dignified and responsible office of county coroner. If you don't remember me, said the witness, I think I could bring myself to your mind easy. On a certain Christmas night not many years ago, Never mind the particulars, Mr. Jellyman, observed the coroner. Come to look at your. I recollect your very well. Ahem. <clears throat> what do you know about this ear case, Mr. Jellyman? Nothing, sir, except that I can swear to having seen the prisoner on the night of the murder at the corner of West and Blank Streets. He was smoking a cigar and walking fast. As he passed me, he said, a cold night, Mr. Policeman. This made me notice him particularly, because it isn't very often that people throw away civilities on us. Just as he turned the corner below me, the alarm bells struck the last round for the seventh district. They had struck three or four rounds. That is all I know about the affair. 
I have no other questions to ask, Mr. Jellyman, said the coroner, with great politeness. The coroner was baffled. He had staked the whole case upon the theory of Marcus Wilkeson's guilt, and had made no attempt to procure other testimony than what would prove that supposition. He scratched his head and rolled his quid in a perfect quandary. Another noise was heard on the stairs, as of several persons hurriedly ascending. Then the door opened, and an excited group made its appearance. In advance was a slender young man, whose face was pale with debauchery. His clothes were rich and had an unpleasantly new look. As he stepped over the threshold, he glanced coolly about the room, and his eyes resting on the coroner, smiled. "'Ah, Mindert, my boy,' said the coroner. "'What are you here for?' End of Book 9, Chapter 8